What? I'm going to try a different approach. Just sit down and listen. Listen. Just sit down and listen. Okay. Write keywords. Yes. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> That's my handwriting from being a Mora. I learned to write like that. You never have other occasions to write in block unless you teach first or second grade, let me tell you. <laughs> or if you're a sofer or something. That's probably how I was doing it at the beginning. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to take a little detour from what we've been doing. And we're going to talk about Purim. And in particular, what I want to do is lay a foundation about Purim. Can everybody stay five minutes late since we're starting five minutes early? Is that? Okay. Well, I don't know. It's not always, of course. All right. What I want to do is lay a foundation about Purim. And then what we're going to do is we're going to plug it into the structure we've been using for davening, the, f the structure of the four worlds, which is the palest there, because I didn't rewrite it with the other pen. The second column from the right, I wrote on top, Olamos. And then underneath it is Atsilus. That was the world of nearness, of God's will, right? Bria, creation, Yitzira, formation, and Osia. We're going to take that, that model, that template that we've been using for davening. On one side, I, remind, I put just reminders. We have the brachos, the other side, that you've seen before. Even if it's not fresh in your mind, you've seen these columns before. Maybe not always in the same order, but always lining up the same way, right? We've had handouts on it. Okay. And what we're going to do is we're going to use that to help us understand better the structure of Al-Hanisim in accordance with the foundation that we're first going to lay. Okay, so I'm going to kind of give you the information, then we can plug it into this, into this table that we've been expanding and expanding and expanding over the months. You'll send us copies. You can send us copies to everybody, assuming you can see anything. Cause, okay. Yeah, All right. So where we're going to start... I was going to start with Parsha Zahor, which was last week. Not last week. This past Shabbos, just a few days ago, which is our introduction to Purim, which is in a couple days. So this, you know, this is obviously the root of Purim, which is to help us understand something about Amalek. Now, if, if you haven't asked this question, as soon as I ask it, it's going to drive you crazy until you have some kind of answer. When we read Zahor, we said, Zahor. Hashem tells us, remember, remember what Amalek did to you when you left Mitzrayim and you were on the way. That he happened upon you or he cooled you off. Kar means cold. He cooled you. He cooled your passion and enthusiasm on the way. And he, he chopped off the tail of the weak ones in the back. Like he, he cut off the people who were straggling behind. You were tired, you were weary, and not fearing God. And it shall be. When Hashem will relieve you of all of your enemies surrounding you. In the land which Hashem your Lord is giving to you as property to bequeath to your children. Erase, maybe, Timcha, dissolve or erase as Zecher Amalek, the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Lotishkach, don't forget. You got to say, hang on, God, you want me to wipe out the memory of Amalek or you want me to remember Amalek? Which one is it? Okay, now you're bothered, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's just like double take. Wait, what did you just tell me to do? You told me that when we're finally fully redeemed and we're secure in the land and our enemies are gone, we shall wipe out all memory of Amalek. Don't forget. That's the conclusion of Zahor. Remember. Remember what Amalek did to you? Wipe out all memory of Amalek. This is like, how can I, how can I do it? <laughs> how can I do it? I'm only human. Hmm. You want, what do you want me to do? Couldn't you also read it, don't forget to erase the memory? Yeah, you could. So let's say you did. How do you still explain the opening of the passage? Remember what Amalek did to you. It's a positive mitzvah in the Torah to remember what Amalek did to you. That's why you got to go to Shul every year and hear Zahor. Well, I don't know if you do, because Sephardim, I don't know how they hold by women having to listen to Zahor. Ashkenazi women are, take, have taken on themselves as a chiyuv, even though technically it's a mitzvah asri shows mangrama. It's like the one time all Ashkenazi women are in show, two. It's Kiesa Shofar and Zahor. You get to Shul. Is that true by Sephardim also? Probably similar, right? Maybe not Zahor. No, Both of those are mitzvahs, Ashi says, mangrama, that women have somehow made themselves obligated in. Okay. So, so it says, remember, and at the end it says... It says, remember what Amalek did, wipe out all memory of Amalek. Don't forget. Yeah, it's very difficult. But you can wipe out, but it doesn't mean you are forgiven. It says wipe out all memory of Amalek. It's Zecher Amalek. It's the same word. Zachor, remember Amalek, wipe out the Zecher Amalek. How can you do both? <laughs> this is a real problem. I know. How many times did we hear Zachor so far? And as soon as you see it, man, this is, you know, it just becomes, okay, Hashem, just go where you're taking me. I got to hear Zachor, I'll go hear Zachor. It isn't yet the situation where Hashem has relieved us from all enemies all around us in the land. I will worry about that part of the mitzvah when the time comes because I don't understand what's going on. Okay. So the, actually the way that I um, initially explored this on Shabbos, which kind of led us to this, to this direction, which turns out to be something that I see in kind of more or less is, is the conclusion of the Maharal. So it's, it's okay, but I'm, I'm warning you now that this bit, the connection that I'm making is my own connection. I didn't yet see somebody who draws the comparison. There's a hint in Rav Hirsch, but I'm not, I can't be sure that that's where he was pointing to because of the way he phrases it, which was in this past Parsha, which was Titzave, which is always read around the time of Purim. It's not always on Zahor. Because it was on Zahor, I happened to see this. The Parsha starts off, the Atah Titzave Es Bnei Yisrael. You should command the Jewish people and tell them to bring to you olive oil pure for illuminating the menorah, lahalos near tamid, in order to raise up a constant or an eternal flame. Who should command the Jewish people? You should command the Jewish people. That's how the Parsha starts. You should command the Jewish Who? Moshe. It's clear it's Moshe. It's obviously it's Moshe. Not only that, some of the Mephorshim, I saw it in the Orachayim, other places also, say, you know what it means when Hashem said to Moshe, you will command the Jewish people? Hashem was making him a melech. He was making him the king. He had taken us out of Mitzrayim. He was our Moshiach. He was our Mashiach. Yeah. He, he had given us the Torah. He was our teacher. Here he becomes a king. Atatisava. You, you command the people. How come, on the one hand, it's pointing clearly to Moshe and his role 
as the one who commands and teaches the mitzvahs to the Jewish people. And on the other hand, it doesn't say who he is. It doesn't say his name. So the Baal HaTurim and other, many other Mephorshim explain over, I mean, you see it's brought down, it's not, it's not the Mephorshim, it's brought already in the Gemara. Moshe's name is not mentioned in this Parsha at all. I mean, this opening verse just really calls your attention to the fact that Moshe's name wasn't in Parsha's Tetzaveh at all. Lest you not realize, which is hard to believe, because as Baal Torin points out, from the day Moshe was born, there isn't a Parsha that doesn't mention his name. Okay, fine, in the time of Avraham, maybe not so much, but certainly once Moshe's born, he's mentioned every Parsha. If, in case you hadn't caught it, the Parsha starts by saying, you, hey, hey, you, command the people. I mean, it, it really, the Parsha is calling your attention. Hashem is calling our attention to the fact that he's not calling Moshe by name. It doesn't say, Vayedavra Hashem el Moshe lemor, nothing like that. Why? Because when the Jews worshipped the golden calf, Hashem said, that's it, I'm done with these people, we're going to wipe them out. And Moshe said, if you do that, wipe me out of your book, erase me. Do you hear how the, it's the same root, right? Timcha ezecher amalek, erase all memory of amalek. And Moshe says, erase me from your book. And Hashem does not ignore the words of a tzaddik. It's true that he made it on condition. If you don't wipe out, if you wipe out the people, wipe me out. But Hashem doesn't ignore the words of a tzaddik. He was wiped out from a chapter in the book, which was Parsha's Tetzaveh that we read a couple days ago. So his name is not mentioned. Okay. Now I'm going to jump back to Amalek for a minute, and then what I want to do is use these two things to help inform one another. Going back to Amalek, to the mitzvah of erase all memory of Amalek, just for your benefit, because the question was so important. When we read Parsha Zahor, we're commanded to remember what Amalek did to us, and furthermore, to wipe out all memory of Amalek. How can, how can you do both? You'd notice that. Okay. Rashi says, what is the commandment? What, how, does he, how does Rashi explain, wipe out all memory of Amalek? It's possible, can't say for a fact, I believe that Rashi is possibly answering that question. <laughs> Meaning, what do you mean, wipe out all memory of Amalek? So maybe we have to understand what it means. What's the memory of Amalek? What's the Zecher Amalek? So over here, it's a little tricky with the words. I don't know. Certainly in our shul, they read the last pasuk twice when they read Zachor. Once with a tzere, zecher amalek, and once with a segel, zecher amalek. Okay, this is, as I believe, the only place where there's a question on the vowels in the Torah. And in order to be sure, and since it is a positive commandment to hear every word correctly of Parsha Zachor, they read it twice to make sure that whichever way it needs to be, you have it. But Zecher is a noun, like the memory of Amalek, or if you'll, I, I, we've, we've come across this idea before when we talked about speech and the ideas of prayer. Speech brings something to the forefront of our mind. 
That's when you say something, when you talk about something, it brings the awareness and consciousness of it to the front of your mind. Which is why when the Torah says to remember something, Zachor, Zachor es Yom Hashabbos Lakadsha, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How do you fulfill that mitzvah? By saying Kiddush. In order to fulfill a Torah commandment to remember something, we speak. Because speaking puts it, Zachor means not just remembering in general, it's specifically remembering something is in the forefront of your mind. Because you can know about something and even remember it, but not be thinking about it until somebody says something to you, right? And you're like, oh, right. Speech has a fun, one of the functions of speech is to bring things that are just in our mind to the front of our mind so that we're thinking and aware about it right now. So Rashi says, so Zecher Amalek, this noun, this uh, thing which recalls Amalek, how do you do this mitzvah? Me'ish ve'ad isha, men and women, me'olel ve'ad yonik, babies and sucklings, mishor ve'ad seh, oxen to sheep, shelo yehe, shem amolek nizkar, afilu al-behema, that the name of Amalek should not be recalled, even about an animal. Lomar, no one should ever say, that, where'd you get that beautiful sheep? Oh, that was an Amaleki sheep. I won it. <laughs> I won it in a battle. There should be nothing you can point to. Men, women, children, animals, property. Nothing you can point to and say that in talking about that thing, the name of Amalek is recalled. Okay, I don't know why is that such a big deal. First of all, we're talking about Amalek. But doesn't that refer to like Haman? Well, we're going we're to bring it around to Haman eventually, yeah. But, I mean, even Shaul in the Haftarah, right? Shaul and Agag, mm-hmm. right? It was hard for him to have to kill the king. It was hard for him to have to kill the best of the animals, or the people didn't want to kill the best of the animals. That's worth saying there cannot be anything in the world left that will recall the name of Amalek. Now here we start to get a hint because we just saw that pattern in Parshas Tetzaveh. The name of Moshe is erased from Parshas Tetzaveh but he and and what he did is not erased. If anything it's emphasized. Ata Tetzaveh, you're the king now. Right? You're going to you're going to command them with the mitzvot. You're going to tell them to bring the oil. You're going to, right? It's even more, he's commanding them, they should bring for you, Shem and Zayizach. We're going to, right? And, and Balaturim adds over there, what does it mean, bring for you, Shem and Zayizach? Because I, Hashem, don't need oil. I don't need light. Moshe does. Uh, his face lit up. Why? I'm not sure why he needed light. Okay, so there's something going on over here. But the pattern we see, there's something reminiscent in the pattern. I'm not comparing Moshe to Amalek. What I'm doing is saying this idea of erasing the name is not the same as erasing the memory of the action or the deeds. There are two levels that are being addressed. So when it comes to Amalek, we're told, remember what Amalek did to you. Don't forget. Every year you 
got to talk about what Amalek did for you. But someday the name of Amalek will be erased and erased completely. Nothing in the world will you be able to point to and attach it to the name of Amalek. There's a distinction here. And the same thing, <laughs> I suppose, with Moshe. Moshe says, erase me from the book. His name is erased. But the imprint of Moshe is at least as strong as ever in this parsha as anywhere else. The Atta, you. I mean, how much more directly can you refer to Moshe? Just not his name. Okay. So this starts to give us meaning, if not for the fact that we had the bit about Moshe, it might be difficult to recognize that there's, there is a teasing out. There is a distinction being made between the name and the action. Okay. So what does it mean then to erase a name without erasing the actions of the person? You know, what, what is the difference then? What's the significance of the name versus the actions? The word shame, the word name, I'm trying to, have we talked about shame at all? We have a little bit, right? When we talked about the names of Hashem. Okay. So we talked about, we've talked about words in general, that a, that a word is a combination of letters that represents the spiritual roots of the physical reality. A name is a kind of a word, so it represents the spiritual root of this physically seen reality. That's a name. In fact, the spiritual roots, it, it describes the spiritual roots of the physical reality. <clears throat> so a person's name is like the word that refers to their spiritual root that is expressed in this world as the person that you see. Uh, I think it's, <coughs> I think it's the schluck. I, I, look, you know, I don't. Kabbalists say that the name of every soul is engraved in the Kisei HaKavod. You may have heard the idea that souls come from the Kisei HaKavod, and they're, sorry, that, that the name of each soul is engraved, is carved into the Kisei HaKavod, the, the holy, God's holy throne, whatever that means. He doesn't sit on a throne. Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know, right? Which is uh, just a statement I just made, parroting people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The name of the soul is the name of the person is engraved in the Kisei HaKavod. Now, referring to our chart, we've seen an association of the Kisei HaKavod with the Olam HaAtzilus, God's Ratzon. When it comes to the parts of, of the body or the parts of the person, right, we've said that our body interacts with the world of Asiya, of the material. Our body is physical. And through using our body, we interact with the world of Asiya. Through using our nefesh, our life, our emotional life, we interact with the world of Yetzira, right? We've talked about this, and at each level of davening that corresponds to it, we are, we are kind of uh, rounding up and gathering together our strength in that space in order to interact with the world at that level. The level of neshama corresponds to the level of atzilus, right? So the guf, the body, that's the level of the physical. The nefesh, the emotional life, is the level of Yetzira. The seichel, the mind, is the level of creation. And the neshama is at the level of atzilus. Neshamas come from the kisei akavod, which is associated with the level of atzilus. 
It all fits together. Really, what this table does is pull together a lot of different things you might have heard and kind of show them as part of an organized system of thought, not just random statements that somebody great made. I mean, God forbid nobody great would actually make just random statements. But they can sound that way to us because we don't have the background information. Not pretending to have the background information, but at least it has been taught to us where they fit together in terms of being organized. The word shame, name, is the root, the shoresh, of the word neshama. A neshama is a noun, right, that is created from the concept of shame, of a name. The name of every neshama is engraved at the kisei hakavod, because the root of a neshama is in the kisei hakavod. Atzilus means nearness to God. A neshama is a chelak elokami mal, a, some kind of piece of the divine from above that is also implanted and held within our bodies. And we've also talked in the past about the idea, neshama shenosato bi tehorahi. No matter what I do with my seichel and my nefesh and my gof, not that it doesn't matter, it matters deeply, because this is bringing the shechina into the world, but the neshama itself is tahor. I can't damage that. So there is a fundamental distinction then between the top row going across and the rows underneath. Because the neshama is at the level of atzilus and is pure. Underneath it are the different levels, the mind, the nefesh, the guf, any of which can be corrupted. Those are things we work on. OK, that's just there. We're going to come back to this when we talk about al hanisim. Do you, are you going to make that chart on a handout? I don't know, are you? <laughs> maybe, maybe. This chart is a handout. The, the thing is that there's two new columns here on the left. Those two, uh, not even. The one that says Haman Bikesh, that's the only new one. All the rest is already exists on those charts that I've given you. All the, other, all the other three, the other four columns already exist. I don't, think, I don't think any of those are new. Lori took a picture. You know, Lori, if you send me the picture, if you text me or email me the picture, then I'll, I'll make it into a handout and send it out. Okay, but for now you have it over here. Okay. Can, can I ask you a question about this? I can talk to you about this after if you want. But you think about the throne and, and you have all You the, do? I mean, you. <laughs> you think about I'm impressed. What you just said about the key stack, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with the names engraved on it, I don't mean to, to make this sound, I mean, I love my dog, so it's almost like having the neshamas on a leash to the throne, you know, and and in a way Sorry? Like it's attached, like we're attached to Hashem. We are, know? yeah. Um, but the leash, you know, it's what you do at the other end of the leash. I'm not sure, no, not in, the, not in that muscle. That muscle doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. There's a way, okay. we could talk, let's not talk about it during class oh, time, but we fine. could talk about there, a way that you could visualize that. that idea, but it doesn't, it doesn't work in this muscle. No. Okay, so. The neshama itself itself draws down from Kisei HaKavod and is connected at one end from Kisei HaKavod. It is part of God. And at the other end, it is held by God firmly in place okay. within our body. It cannot naturally just stay in there. There's no automatic interface. In fact, that's one reason why you have levels. There's a neshama. God holds the neshama to, well, whatever. The ruach, the nefesh, the goof, whatever. Each one clicks on to the one below it. And in this way, somehow, the God holds the neshama in within us, right? It's a elokai neshama shenasatabi tahorahi atavarasa tayitzata tanafachtabi v'atam mishamra bikirbi, and you hold it there. You put it there, and you hold it there. 
Someday you'll lift it up out of me. And then put it back again. Okay, this is, this is God's work. This is all, this is not for negotiation on the table. There's, no, there's nothing we're going to do to mess that up. That knowledge, we've talked about that. Having that basic fundamental knowledge about ourselves and about others, that the neshama is pure. It's just a constant. It's just the neshama is 100% pure. It's, you know, you can take the diamond and you can throw it in the mud and you can encase it in plaster, but when you wash it all off, you are left with the diamond. You didn't mess up or change the diamond. It doesn't look so great when you've sprayed spray paint all over it, but it washes off. Okay, all that can be washed off. And the neshama itself is untouchable. Now that just looking at that, we start to understand why there is a distinction. There's, there's a separating out here that the Torah is making for us. There's the impact of the person, the action of the person, in the world, what they've done and achieved. That goes with the Asher Yatsar side, the physical, what we're able to do, the mitzvot, it matters. And then there's the neshama aspect of the person, the shame, the name. So when it comes to Moshe, Hashem erased his name, but didn't erase his impact, his actions. There's a message there, which we'll talk about. And Hashem tells us about Amalek, I don't want anything to recall the shame of Amalek. You must always remember what he did, but we never want to recall the shame. So you have to try and understand a little bit more still, what's the significance of that? When Moshe said, erase me from the book, if you destroy the people, erase me from the book. He didn't, the goal was Hashem shouldn't destroy the people. So there's two issues. One is, Hashem didn't destroy the people. Why? So partly because Moshe said, if you do erase me from the book, you can't erase Moshe from the book. But also because you can't erase the Jewish people from the book either. Any more than you could erase Moshe from the book. Now Moshe in saying, if you do that, erase me from the book, at some level, if only at the level of of an argument is expressing a contemplation that such a thing could be possible. It could be possible that there's a person or a nation or millions of people who mess up so badly that you would erase their names. But, but the name is the root of the soul, right? The name, the word shame is the root of the word neshama. The name that we speak of in this world of a person is a description going back to its source at the Kisei HaKavod of the soul. So there's a little bit of an argument here. Is there an inherent worth and value to a living soul? Or does it depend on your productivity, on your success, on your achievement, on your effort even? Okay on your intelligence, any, any of those. Does it depend on your goof? Does it depend what you manage to do? Does it depend on your nefesh? How nice are you? How not nice are you? Do you control your midos? Oh, these are important things. Does it depend on your mind? What you're able to contribute, what you're able to experience, right? Quality of life. Or is there an, another level even beyond all those three, which is just 
a purpose and value in the soul. Now, we all know the halacha. We all know from halacha that there's a value in the soul. We know that halachically because it comes up all the time in medical halacha and medical ethics, right? Is there a value to someone living longer if they won't enjoy, if they'll feel like they're a burden, if they're not contributing to society, right? And we know that the Torah says, yes. In contemplating, even to suggest the idea that the names could be erased is a suggestion that somehow there's, there's a possibility of non-eternal value of even one individual soul. And Hashem comes to Moshe, and in the place where he very clearly is not saying Moshe's name, really, really obviously not saying Moshe's name, the you command the Jewish people, let them take for you, you Moshe, whose name I'm not mentioning. They're going to take for you pure olive oil suitable for illumination. Lahaalos near tamid. Did I bring, I didn't bring the Rashi? Lahaalos near tamid. Rashi says over there, you know what it means to, to lahaalos near tamid, to lift up an eternal flame? It's where you hold the flame of the first candle to the wick of the second candle. And when it lights, you don't stop holding the wick next to it. You keep holding the candle, the first candle, to the second one until the flame rises up on its own. Hmm. If you light candles every week, this is a useful yeah. tip. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do that, otherwise it goes out. It goes out. And Rav Hirsch says, and this is based on the early commentators, because ne'er lokim nishmasa adam. The ne'er, we translate it as candle, but it actually is like the flame. The flame of God is the soul of the person. And this is telling us also about teaching. A teacher needs to teach his student with the goal of the student being like the candle that then is able to rise up and stand on its own. That's a ner tamid, right? That's that the soul can, can rise up and stand on its own. Rav Hirsch says, I didn't, I, it must be the source of what Rabbi Orlowick constantly says, the goal of a teacher is to make himself obsolete. Rav Hirsch says it in slightly different words, but very slightly different words. That that is the, the goal and purpose of a Torah teacher, is to make it that the student is able to learn and, and graduate from the teacher, maybe to another teacher. Always need to have a teacher. Yeah, That's success. Okay, if, if your goal in teaching is to keep someone tied to you, that's a cult. That's selfish. People parent that way too, but that's a different story. He's just talking about Torah teachers. Something to keep in mind. Right? The goal is to make your kids or your students hmm. able to stand on their own two feet. That's Lahalos Ner Tamid. So Moshe Rabbeinu needs for him, his own sake, Yikwe Lecha, let them take for your sake, because Baltar says, I don't need it. Shem doesn't need it. For Moshe's sake, he needs the Jewish people to rise up as an eternal flame, to stand up on their own two feet from his teachings. You're going to command them, and they're going to be able to stand up and keep burning on their own. In other words, there's a fire inside that doesn't go out. It's a ner tamid. It's eternal. This is a, a constant Hasidic theme, right? That there's a, the flame of the soul within a Jewish person that never goes out. He did a great job. He's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the ultimate Torah teacher. He put an entire nation on our feet.
Moshe requires it because that's the tikkun for saying macheni nami sifracha, for even contemplating the suggestion that such a thing could be possible, that a name could be erased. The cure of that is commanding the Jewish people in mitzvos in a way that their soul, he sees their souls are raised up and burning eternally. It's not something up for discussion to wipe, really to wipe the people out, to wipe the souls out. Okay. And therefore, hold on, just come back. We have to wipe out the name of Amalek. We're not going to forget what they did. We need to remember what they did. That'll wipe out the name. Now this starts to become the opposite. <laughs> What's why wipe out the name of Amalek? Okay. So what is Amalek? So you've probably heard a lot of things. All of them will apply. Amalek, the gematria of Amalek is the same as the gematria of Safek, of doubt. Amalek was the first intentional atheist denying God. Amalek comes and says, not do a vodazara, not, you know, rebel against God. Amalek comes and says, God, I don't know. You know how Amalek came to us? In Rafidim, in the first battle of Amalek, because we said, Is God really within us or not? You hear the question? Is God within us or not? That's where Amalek comes in. If I don't know if God is in me, if I don't know I have an actual neshama that's divine and untouchable, you know, you have, because otherwise you have to ask, what is the Jew saying? Is God within us? There's a pillar of fire every night, there's a pillar of smoke every day. There's man. There's like, what do you mean is there a God? You just came out of a tribe. You crossed the Yamsuf. They're not doubting that there's a God, the Jewish people. All it took was doubting if we're really so good. Is God in our midst? Like, maybe we're not good enough. Maybe he doesn't want to be with us. He doesn't love me. I have to know. I have a soul. God is within me. When he looks at me, he sees also something divine. He sees all the dirt I've laid on it. But he also sees that there's an neshama. It's a tzalem elokim. It's something divine. It's an image of God in me. I can always know that God does love me. I could, I could always rely on it. He, he might love it if I would also do better. <laughs> but he does love me. That's not called into question, ever. I can always rely on it. I never have to say, because, and if I do, enter Amalek. Here comes Amalek, because that's Amalek's role. Amalek comes and says, well, you know, it could be it all evolved. Could be. You know, it could be like God doesn't really care so much. Like, right? Like your soul, do you have an inner soul? Now watch and see what happens, how that plays out with Haman. The same way. Okay? So the battle with Amalek, the fight with Amalek, the fight with doubt, the fight with that whole aspect of Yetzirah, which Rav Schwab defines as self destructive urges hmm. that that really you if you thought about it you know that it would damage you yetahara is that which pulls us to things which destroy ourselves that's the inner self there that's going to get messed up that's going to be like okay what amalek denies that there's a soul he says you don't know what we glorify as refresh puts it the glorification of the hero the glorification of the, he doesn't say the movie star, but, right, the famous person, the powerful person, the rich person, 
It's the glorification of all these other things, and it denies the soul. When you ascribe the value of people to the guf, the nefesh, the seichel, that's their accomplishments. That's not the value. There's a value that's neshama, that's untouchable, and Amalek denies it. He denies that there is a shame, that there's a, a purpose that every soul has, regardless of everything else, regardless of how much it can contribute to society, whether it's a baby or a child or an old person. Amalek attacks all of that. He attacks the weakest of you in the back of the crowd and says, no, these aren't worth anything. Let's, you don't need those. We, let's get rid of that. Let's keep you to the elite. Like some people are worth more than others. Amalek says not everything has to have a purpose. Because you know what gives everything a purpose? It's the godliness in it. Everything Hashem created has a purpose. You can't look at something and say it doesn't have a purpose. Here, I'm going to read you here. Listen to this. This is the Maharal. The Maharal in the Siv HaEmes. Case Leitzim. Okay, this is, I'm jumping in in the middle. Amalek is also called Leitz, a, a scoffer, a cynic. Right? Asher he cooled you off. Yeah, don't get so excited. You know how these things always work out. Yeah, God took you out of Egypt. Yeah, I'm sure he has an agenda if he, if he exists. It was just the planetary alignment and the ocean and the, yeah. okay. Case Leitzim, the category of Leitzim, scoffers, mockers, people who make fun, kind of bring down the value of something and say, well, it's not, it doesn't have a real value. Haleitzanus, mockery, scoffing, cynicism, heim divrei havoi, it's an, a way of expressing things, that says that actions, things, everything exists, doesn't have any real value. Okay, sorry, it's getting very, very deep. But it's called a there are four categories of people who cannot face the Shrina, who cannot see the Shrina, and one of them is somebody who mocks and who's cynical, who kind of plays down the real value of things. Why? Because the Shechina is what shows us that Hashem created the world. And nothing, ein ba'olam davar echad, there is not one single thing in this world, in this universe, that is reikon v'hevel v'shel that is useless, purposeless, or empty. Nothing. There's not one used tissue that has no value. Everything God created, he created with a purpose and with a value. Of course, including people. But really, down to the smallest thing, all of creation is necessary. And then some person comes along and says, oh, that thing, that's, that's not really important. That's just nothing. It's batala, like you could take it or leave it. It, it could be wasted. But that is not true at all. Everything is necessary. That's why a leitz who says nonsense, who's always joking, who's always taking things down a notch or two, not taking things seriously, can't see the shechina, can't face the shechina. Some of the other mafarshim say, I think Rav Tzadok, even when he wants to, even when the late wants to approach the Shekhinah in davening, can't come face the Shekhinah. 
because his, his behavior is a denial of the Shrine itself, of God's creation of the world. God intentionally created the world. Every single thing in it has a purpose and a value, and certainly every person. There's a role of Amalek, and the role of Amalek is we have to fight that. We have to fight the idea that there could be, let, let's focus on people, that there could be people who don't have a purpose or a value. <laughs> we could fight that. Now, why do we have to fight that? Because we've got to be secure. This is our, <laughs> this, say, if I have an ashamah that's at Salam al-Kim, then the fight against Amalek is the fight that brings me to be solid in my connection with God, to know that he loves me, he loves my children no matter how impossible they are, right? <laughs> he loves that crazy person down the block, right? There's a value. But once that is perfected, when Hashem relieves you from all the enemies around you, you hear the subtext, right? You're going to have to fight the enemy within you. Wipe out the name of Amalek. Everything, every name is in, refers to the neshama, has a purpose in this world. There's one name we could afford to wipe out. Only one. The name of Amalek. No other name could be, what do you mean wipe out a name? We're just saying that it's not that. The battle against Amalek is Amalek says there's no neshama, there's no name, there's no God. I doubt it, I laugh at it. That's Amalek. That's the name that has to be wiped out. So then you say, but how could that be? That seems like exactly the contradiction to the battle with Amalek. Rashi explained it. There can be nothing in the world, not a tiny baby who isn't producing, who's only a parasite, to a sheep or an ox. There can be nothing in the world that you point to and say, the name of Amalek is the owner of this. This came from Amalek. Right? The one name that has to be wiped out of the world is the name of Amalek. Because it cannot be that there is a single thing on this planet or in this universe that you point to and attribute a name of Amalek to it. Because a name of Amalek is the antithesis of saying it has a meaning. Everything has a meaning. Every single thing. Everything of Amalek has to be wiped out. Everything. There can't be anything left that anyone would say comes from Amalek because that would be like saying... Yeah, this thing, maybe it doesn't have so much meaning. Okay, now come and see. Let's, let's take this idea. Sorry. Yeah. I'm having a challenge with this. Okay. So we are, by erasing the name, does that mean that their nishama is also being erased from the... I can't uh, answer it. I can't answer the oh, question. Okay. It's way beyond me. Okay. There is an association of Amalek with the Yitzhahara. And there is an associated idea that the Yitzhahara will itself in the future go. I mean, whatever. I'll read you a little bit. We'll see. We'll see what we think. I, have a I can't. Uh, yeah. Doesn't it seem that, uh, not that it's Amalek, but that his uh, ideals are still carried on today and we're still. Yeah, the, the battle today. hasn't happened. The final battle hasn't happened. There's, um, okay. there's there are three levels. The first was in the time of Shaul, the second was in the time of Esther and Mordechai, and the third is in the future. It will be in the future. And, and we can see it very much 
that there's Alma Lake. We live in we live yeah. in the we live in the headquarters. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we live in Alma Lake headquarters. I I like to have, hope that we're the secret agents who have infiltrated. Well, we certainly right now it's not that we go around killing Amalekites physically. Right. But we strike a blow to the heart of Amalek when we say everybody has a purpose. I have a purpose. I have a meaning. God is within me. Cooks. When we say, you know, when, when, when our city council is voting to try and make it more comfortable for people to die, and we raise our hands and say, could we also make it more comfortable for people to live? There's, there's a very strong battle being fought there. And that, by the way, in that area of the medicine is where it hits us oh absolutely when we're most vulnerable. Yes. Because we are weak. I mean, this is, this is a rant, and, and now Sorry. technically we should be going, no, this is me ranting. <laughs> I can go on on a long, a long time on, We've you know, the... It, I've had, we all have... You know, when you come in, I, I have sat in the room and heard a doctor say, not to me, but to the person I was with, when the baby pulls out the breathing tube, we want your permission not to reinsert it because her life is not going to be worth anything. She's going to be a vegetable. Okay? I've heard that. I've heard other things like that, but that's a pretty dramatic one. That child is a joy today, by the way. That child is a joyous child. Sounds like sounds like about the same age as this other child. You know who I'm talking about, yeah? Or a green. Oh. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. But and with old people. With old yeah. people. My own grandfather. My own grandfather he had a stroke. He was healthy till he was ninety eight. He had a stroke and they didn't give him any nutrition. Because you know, he's an old man and he's so sick and he's in a coma and he's gonna be yeah. So at some point, you know, my mother was there, I was in Israel, my mother noticed. She said, where's the food? <laughs> and they said, oh, he can't, he's not, whatever. She said, well, what does the neurologist say? They didn't even call in a neurologist. The neurologist comes, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. So he squeezed his hand. Oh. He heard everything they said that whole time. He lived almost another year in, in pretty good shape. <laughs> in pretty good shape. He woke up, he ate, he drank, put on tefillin, came to the Shabbos table. That's, that's, <laughs> that's living. That's living. Of course it's living. And you know what? If he would be unconscious and a vegetable, he'd also be living. That's the point. There's a value. You see, it becomes more obvious when they're wrong. Right. But guess what? Even if they are right, there's a value and a purpose. There's nobody and nothing you can point to in this world and say there's a shame on Molek. You know what the shame on Molek is? The shame on Molek is there's no shame. There's no neshama. There's no level of that. So now let's come around because we have to finish up. So we're going to, okay. The Maharal. This is awesome. I see, you know, people talk about, they used to say that America was the golden of Medina, right? Europeans. The golden land because you would come here and you'd pick up the money off the floor. That's how rich it was. You go to Israel, talk about a golden of Medina. Every way you turn, there are sfarim for sale at no cost almost. It costs, I mean, it does add up. <laughs> the lady at the VAT refund who was like, you bought how much money in books? <laughs> you know, but it's, it's nothing. You know, you can buy in Jerusalem a Mesilas Yesharim, a Derech Hashem, 
for 10 shekel? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you could pick it up. Like, it's not in the street, but you know, it's, it's like Torah there just for the picking. It's unbelievable. So one of the amazing things I picked up was Maharal on the sitter. So I opened it up. This is the first thing I opened up. I'm like, oh, Al Hanisim. Hanukkah time we did Al Hanisim. Let's get something. Okay. Here's what he says. He says, Haman, it says, in the days of Mordechai and Esther in the capital city Shushan, when there arose against them Haman Harasha, Haman the wicked, Bikesh, he sought Lehashmid, Leharog, Ulaabed, Eskol Hayehudim. Lahashmid, to destroy, Laharog, to kill, Ulaabed, and to, to wipe out or to, means like to make them lost, like so they don't exist. All the Jews, Minar Vaadzakain, from young to old, Tafinashim, infants and women, Biyomichad on the same day, Ushlolam Lavoz, and to take their booty. You always wonder, do you ever stop on those words for a second and say what? Like, and, and if he did, who would have cared at that point, right? Like, what? That's the big deal. So maybe that was his purpose. He was the funny. I don't know. Like, it's a little funny, right? Well, it's not so funny now that we've laid this whole long foundation. Because the Maharal says, you know what? Why lahashmid, laharog, ulaabed? What is those three things? Lahashmid is to destroy. It's to destroy something physical. Lahashmid is not always used only for people. It doesn't only mean to kill people. Can be to destroy like a, like a vodazarabama, like that. is to, that's a, referring to the body. He wants to kill their bodies. Laharog, he wants to kill them. Well, that's to kill the soul out of them. That's laharog is to kill somebody from being alive to being dead. That's the level of the nefesh. Ulaabed, and to make it as if they're not really existing, as if they're lost, that refers to the seichel, the mind, because in a person's thinking is the greatest expression of existence because the, the mind is the crowning aspect of the human being. It's one of the distinctions between the other living creatures. Why only those three? He denies there's a soul at all. The battle of Haman. It's an empty hole on the table. Why is there an empty hole in the table? Because Haman's an Amaleki. That is the battle of Amalek. We're going to wipe them out. He even says, well, it's not, it's not worth it for the king to let these people stick around. Shove is like equal, equality, right? We've learned about that with Shivisi Hashem Lunegdi Samid. When we talked about the name Ato, referring to God as you directly, right? Face to face. The Shivisi Hashem Lunegdi Samid. I place God before me always. Hashva is, is an equalization. Now, am I equal to God? That's ridiculous. Of course not. It's a recognition that there is within me something that is reflecting on a level to God. Okay? That's my neshama. All of that. He's like, ain't shove No, there's no shove. There's no, there's no level of neshama up there. He's in complete denial that there's a God. He's in complete denial. That's, that's the battle. Shalom Lavos. When they're gone, you know what's going to be left of them? Their booty. Their stuff. I'll take that. Why? Because that's all there is just whatever you can see in this physical world. What you can see of a person, that's all there is. But, but it's not true. Right? Our battle with Amalek is, no, Ha'adam eats asada. Man is like a tree. There's this whole tree. You see the trunk. You see the branches. You see the leaves. You see the fruits. 
but it's all coming, it's all nourished, it's all supported by a huge root system that you can't see, it's in another plane. It's not visible, right? He's just like, no, cut them off right there at the bottom of the trunk and there won't be anything. That, that's how you destroy them, right? So you hang them on the tree. <laughs> you kill them on the tree, right? Also, you take him and put him on the tree. That, that's how you get rid of a haman, because you know what? It's a tree. There is a deep root there. All right. There's, a, there's more places we could go with this. I think we're, there's only so much time. There's only it's so much time. Hour class, right? It is. There's a lot of levels. Well, one advantage we have is we've already talked about certain topics. Yeah, yeah. If we had to do all the background work, we really would not be able to, to get there. So a quick question. Yeah. Does that mean that perhaps the Amalek don't Probably not, but I'll ask it anyway. That they don't have an Ishamal? No, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Of the fact no, that I a... don't think so. You know, there's a. Amalek is a child of Eliphaz and Timna. Eliphaz is a grandson, I guess, of uh, Asaf. Mm -hmm. And Timna, Timna came to Avraham and said, I want to join the Jewish people. And Avraham saw that she was not suited and turned her away. Timna came to Yitzchak and was turned away. Timna came to Yaakov and was turned away. And she finally said, like, by the way, there were great people before her who said it, but they didn't do what she did. There were other great people who said, it's worth it to be a servant in the house of Avraham than to be a princess elsewhere. Hagar said something like that. Um, Eliezer said something like that. Timna said, they're pushing me away. They're pushing me away. They're pushing me away. And by golly, I won't be pushed away. I will get in. I don't care what back door I have to go through. And she married Eliphaz, and they had Amalek. Because, and, and Chazal do seem a little bit to hold the Avos responsible for having pushed her away without simultaneously building her up. I, I, I couldn't say such a thing, but it's Chazal. Rabbi Leff says, because when you push someone away, there was, what you're supposed to do is small right? You push away, but there's a drawing near also. So it's a drawing near into the Jewish people, teacher, how to be a righteous non-Jew, whatever. I, I, I mean, presumably they saw that she wasn't going to take that kind of instruction. But whatever it was they were supposed to do, maybe, I don't know. When someone's pushed away, you know what they say? You saying I'm worthless? You're worthless. I don't care about you. You've heard this, right? Like probably in your kitchen or something, right? Not maybe the word worthless, but, right? That's where Amalek comes from. That Amalek comes from saying, no, 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 you're worthless. No, no, you're saying I'm nothing, you're nothing. I'm nothing, you're nothing. All that there is is the outside stuff. All there is is the outside stuff. There's no deeper thing. There's no world to come. There's no future. There's no, no, no. I don't, there's nothing. There's no value. There's no meaning. Once you're killed, you're gone. It would be so interesting to see um, a rub who has a background in like psychiatry or something. See like, you know, I mean maybe, you know, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov saw this woman's a little bit loony. <laughs> they saw something. And she's like narcissistic or something and she's raising the, this next generation who what kind of mother and father did he have? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's pretty, it's all, it's all tragic. 
it, it helps us get a sense, though, because we feel uncomfortable. Like, oh, you're going to kill everybody? Like, it's not a little hard? Like, what about the children? What did they ever do? What did they? Exactly. That's, that's, the, that's the, like, the. And the answer is, it's, it's exactly that. It's that there is a value. It, it, you know, Hashem said to Shaul, he said, don't try and be more religious than me. Don't be more righteous than God. And as Rav Hirsch says, you know, the battle that Shaul had to fight within his heart to be able to fight Amalek, and, and it's almost like he was mostly successful, not entirely, because, yeah, the battle against Amalek at first glance seems to contradict every other lesson of Torah. But the reason is because it's a battle with Amalek. Amalek is eating at the root of Torah and value. So that is the one thing that the world actually can do without. <laughs> that is exactly the one thing the world needs to do without, is the thing that says that something could have no value. It, it's actually a perfect midah connected midah. It is perfect in, in the full perfection of God's justice. The only reason it's difficult for us and we have to battle it is because we've been infected. We've been infected. Yeah, Shaul wasn't, but yeah, we, we've been infected by it. And, and we managed, I mean, talk about infected, it's a perversion. We will give more value to an Amaleki life than to God's life force into the world as a whole. Do you see what a perversion it is? We, 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 we accept from Amalek, we say, but, but it's, my, it's my valuing of human life. No, it's not, because where is the value of human life is from the neshama, is from God. I have ex I, it's a very subtle and sharp infection. That's what makes it difficult. It's not even fighting for the glory of God. You know what Esther said? If we were sold to be servants and slaves, second-class citizens, non-productive, right? Because a, a servant, no matter how productive he is, it's really the owner who's been productive, mm -hmm. right? Even, I, 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 even in a small way, like if you have someone who helps you clean your house, you also get the credit for having a clean house, right? right? Even if you didn't wield the mop, right? She says, if we were avadim and shvachas, we were sold to that, I wouldn't have said a word. But Haman wants to lahashmi abed. He's completely denying God and the soul altogether. If it weren't for that, ein hatzar The suffering and the pain wouldn't be worth any damage to the king. There would be no harm against God himself. It would just be against us. So fine, we've got to suffer, we'll take it. But he, he's attacking the Shrina. He's attacking you, God. When he attacks at Salam Elohim, he's attacking you. It's the same attack. So I have to come and approach you and fast and pray and speak up and take the risk of my own soul going, you know, wherever it goes by my approaching Ahasuerus. Anyway, I hope this will give you a little bit more to think about during your Alhanisim. Yes. Enjoy. Enjoy. We've gone well over time. They didn't kill the animals, right? They didn't kill all of them. The humans or animals? 
either. You're talking about in the time of Shaul. Yes, which is the problem. Both. Yeah, no, I'm saying Equal. Yeah. yeah, which was the problem. Was it's but it was, Hashem says, what do I value more? The carbono? It was a justification. And in the end, Shaul, who was a self-reflective person and a tzaddik, a tzaddik, we would aspire to be a Shaul. Shaul, it, he didn't even realize at first what had gone wrong. He says, I, I, what I, I didn't do anything wrong. I did exactly what you told me. Could you imagine? He wasn't lying. He's talking to a Navi. There's no point. Right? Uh, you don't lie to a Navi. Because what's no. the point? <laughs> you will be caught. He knows. He knows what happened. He believed it when he said, I, I, I did the right thing. And then Shaul said, no, you didn't. Here's, uh, Shmuel said, here's what you did wrong. And he says, Khatasi, I sinned. I was afraid of the people. Instead of? Rich people. The Jewish people? Yeah. The people wanted it. Not the people true. wanted it. They wanted to keep some of the better ones. They wanted... I was afraid of the people. That's what he said. You're racy. I was afraid of the people. That's, that's the root of the, fa of the battle with Amalek. You were weak. You, you were tired. You were weary. And you didn't fear God. That, <laughs> that's why he can't be a king anymore. He can't. He can do tshuva. But he can't be a king anymore. Because... The battle, one of the big first roles of the king is to fight a Malik, is to fight that battle. Or Chaim brings, he says, the first task of Mashiach is going to be to fight a Malik. That's when you've, when you've finally gotten through all these other wars, you've got to go fight a Malik. In order to reestablish God's kingdom in full on the earth, that's through that. That battle with a Malik is the source of our redemption. Over and over again, over and over again, it's the source of our redemption, even in the time of Shaul. We, I get, I cry when they read this Haftar. What can I do? You know, it's so tragic. And then, but the truth is, the truth is, Shaul, in not fighting Amalek fully, lost the kingdom. That's also the beginning of the kingdom of David. That's true. I mean, there's... I didn't say that myself. It's Orachayim. It's, it's also, like, you see these times that our whole lives so we've talked about this before. We talked about it in terms of meaning it's the same thing, right? Perfection, Yetzirhara, sin, chuva. You get right. back to where you were, right. but it isn't where you were. No. It's somewhere higher. Mm -hmm. And it's the battle with Amalek. Right. We're good, and then we fight Amalek, but out of the battle with Amalek, and when we conquer Amalek, we get to somewhere new, and it's not exactly where we were before. It's, it's somewhere higher than we were before. I have another question. The, the times where you, the, there was the history of fighting Amalek, were they all at the uh, like? Are you, were they fighting them at, at this all level? Levels? I, I think it, it must be so. Period, it must be it so. One time with goof, one oh. time with emotions, and what one uh, time with. Very interesting. I don't know. That's a fascinating question. Because don't we have now more of it? Certainly at Purim, those words, Lahashmi, Laharagul Abed, are actually a paraphrase from the Megillah itself. Right. So Esther at least felt that they were fighting on all those battles. Right. Um, but I don't know. That's really interesting because there are three 
cycles of battle with Amalek, and there's three chap categories. I, I don't know. You may have heard, you know, it said in the name of Rabbi Saul Salantri, he said that Amalek is compared to a dog. Remember I said everything you've learned about Amalek, it applies here. You ever heard that? Why? No. Because Amalek, he doesn't, when you hit a dog with a stick, he'll bite the stick. Not he doesn't bite the person. Right. Okay. Do you hear what that message is? Uh -uh. Amalek bites the stick, not the person wielding the stick. He denies oh, there's oh a God. God. He, his target is on, on only the expression in this world, not, not where it came from. He denies that it came from anywhere. He's like a dog who sees a stick that hits him. He doesn't know anyone's holding it. Wow. It's, it's the same idea. What I find nowadays is there's a lot more doubtfulness about you know existence of God. So in That's terms right. of it started then, it started in the desert. Yeah, not joking. No, no, I started in the desert. <laughs> you know, it's we're still fighting. We're they still fighting the battle. So Rabbi Rabbi ever. Goldberg brought on Thursday. I think the paper's there, maybe. So they are I there because I personally stuck that green post-it note and put a paper my, clip on them. Because <laughs> they're shameless, because it had shame Hashem on it, so I oh, want someone wow. to come and throw them away. Okay, so on this thing, he quoted a Malvin, right? You remember that? that Sorry if I poked you. Okay, so he quoted Apostle Yeshaya, Chizku Yadayim, strengthen hands, Yadayim Rafa, strengthen weak hands, Uverkayim Kishlos Ametsu, and collapsing knees, you should fortify, give them more strength. And the Malbim says, you, the Nevi'im, you have to strengthen the nation that is despairing of Geula. And we're talking about how it's taking so yeah. long, <laughs> this process. So what, there are three aspects of despair. The first aspect of despair is referred to as weak hands, meaning a person who doesn't feel they can do anything because they're in despair. Mm -hmm. like it's not going to help. What's the point? And to this, the Navi says, Come on, we have to fortify your hands. We have to strengthen your hands. The second is, the second aspect of despair is even if somebody who, who is tackling and they are going to fight the fight, they don't feel weak, but eventually their knees and like their legs collapse from the amount of time that they're fighting this battle. It just goes on and on and on, and that also needs to be strengthened. I mean, they get weary. They get tired. I've been fighting so long. Some don't fight at all. The next group is they fight, but they're fighting so long. And the third is those who are fighting the battle of Avodah Hashem. Their hands haven't gotten weak. Their knees haven't. Their legs haven't collapsed. But they see that the words of the Nevi'im have never come true. It hasn't happened yet. Hashem keeps uh, saying, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to redeem them. You keep saying that, but it didn't happen all this time. So they begin to despair that it's even true, uh, that it will even happen. Let me tell you something. He didn't say this is the battle with Amalek. It's explicit in that first battle. Let's see if I can pull out so fast. It's explicit in the first battle with Amalek in Parshas Beshalach. Right? We're weak because we doubted Hashem. Right? And Moshe lifted his hands. And as long as his hands were lifted, yeah. right, the Jews succeeded in the war. And Chazal say, as Rashi quotes, and are Moshe's hands that which wins the war. No, Ella, rather, it was that when we saw his hands lifted up, we lifted up our hearts to Hashem in heaven and realized that from him comes our strength. So it strengthens the arms. But his hands got tired and his legs got tired. So they brought a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. That's to support his legs. And Aaron and Hor held his hands up and that's to support his arms. And his arms strengthened them. And then Hashem told Moshe, write all this down in a book and put it into the ears of Yehoshua 
that I will very surely wipe out all memory of Amalek from under the heavens. So the Orachim says, why do you have to put it in the ears of Yoshua? What does that mean? Because Yoshua is the one who was down there leading the battle. And he fought the battle, and he kept fighting the battle, but he saw that they weren't wiped out. They were only weakened. They weren't conquered. It's, the same, it's, it, it's comparable to the, I'm fighting and fighting and fighting, but I don't see that the words of the Navi are coming true. The salvation didn't come. And that's what the Orachim says, speak it into his ear. Let him know, I surely will wipe out Amalek. It didn't happen yet, it's true. You could count on it. You could count on it. It's exactly, exactly parallel to what happened here. And it's, I, I believe, in my opinion, it's even referred to in the Parsha Zahor, which refers back to the first war with Amalek. Mm -hmm. You were ayef, you were tired, v'yageya, and weary. Weary is when it's after a long time of work, v'lo yarei came. And you didn't fear God, which is also you didn't see God. It's the same word, yarei, right? It's the same. This is the battle of Amalek, that despair and it is taking a long, long time. It's I been a long goddess. I love that woman in the hotel, like, Sorry? really, like, inside, you know? The little she's room. She's at the table, that glass table, oh, uh -huh. and she's seriously, every day she goes there and she's waiting for Mashiach to come. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a valuable avoda. Okay, have That's a wonderful, really, wonderful Purim. Amazing, really, um, amazing for you. Wonderful, wonderful Purim. Having